Hi there. Thanks for joining our podcast at Renew Church OC, a church for imperfect people only. I'm Pastor Wilson. We're continuing our how to series in James with our new segment, How to Think Differently. It's easy to have our secular culture and media dictate how we think, but God wants us to think differently than our society, even if we end up with the same values or application. 2020 has been a confusing year in so many major aspects of life, but I'm thankful that James was written as wisdom literature and designed to help us think differently. Finally, we have a few links that I'd love for you to check out on the description page. If you want to support our church, there's a PayPal link there, but mostly we'd love to connect with you. So fill out a Google form or join a live watch party when we're premiering our sermon on Facebook, Sundays at 10.30. Lastly, I'm seeing podcast listeners from all over the world, like Canada, Russia, Australia, and Ireland. Send me an email at wilson at renewchurchoc.com, and I'd love to talk with you and hear your story. Hope you enjoy the podcast. And we're back. Thank you for joining us today, guys. And, you know, I'm sure you guys all had great conversations. And at some point, I would love to hear what you guys all shared. Um, I'm sure you guys had nice and juicy stories. But for now, you get to hear a little bit about my story and my fights. And so if you look at the picture, that's my sister, my older sister, Jeannie. Now, growing up, we've always been super close. Uh, whenever she would have friends over, I would always want to hang out with them. Like, even if she, like, went to events, like, you know, I'm like little Irwin, just trying to, like, tag along with them and follow them. Um, we were really close. Um, now, as close as we were, we had our fights. And and our fights ranged from the small fights to, you know, gets bigger. Like, small fights, like, so I used to always call my sister, Katya. And Gata in, in Cantonese means older sister, but she hated it. And like, she just get mad. And so every time she's like, stop calling me Gata. That's that one of our small fights. And then we had our medium fights. And so, you know, this is probably my fault, but I used to dismember her Barbies. Um, <laughs> but pretty much she just beat me up for that. And that was my fault. I take that blame. And then we had our big fights. Now, our big fights always look different, but generally I got time out because it was always almost my fault. And so one of the most memorable co- collection series of fights was over a single item, the remote control. And so the remote control meant so much for us. Like, you don't get it. We fought so much over the remote control and it was worth it, right? Like the remote control meant one, you can turn off or turn on the TV. Like it's important guys. Two, you can turn to whatever channel you wanted. So if I wanted to watch cartoons, I get to watch cartoons. And three, well, you just had power. Like if, you can do whatever you want and the other person can do absolutely nothing about it so like if my sister wanted to watch her tv or anything she would have to ask me oh 
such a good feeling. And so there's one day in particular, one day distinctly remember, and we're kind of going through our normal, like, fight over the remote control. Who gets the remote control? And so, so, you know, just we're like, okay, like, how are we going to solve this? So we decide to race. And so it, it makes sense, right? So you put the remote control on one side of the room, and on the opposing side, we line up, right? And appropriately, what do you do when you race? You count. So like, ready, set. And I remember just like in my mind, like, I'm going to bolt it. I'm bolting it. I'm running. And like, you know, that this is different, Erwin. This is younger, weaker, shorter, stubbier, um, a lot less smart, Erwin. Um, but, you know, nonetheless, I'm bolting it. And to my dismay, younger, stupider, shorter, a little less smarter, Erwin sees my sister victorious holding the remote control before me and dude i felt defeated you know what ended up happening as i as i wallowed in my defeat was i just marched up to her <laughs> i i marched up to her you know i took the remote out of her hand and I hit her on the back with it. Yeah, she, she cried in pain. But that's what happened. Right? I wanted something. I didn't get it. And I reacted. And so, what happens when you don't have the remote control? What happens when you constantly find yourself thinking all about all the things you lack and what happens when someone else has that. We've all been there and we've all seen it. I think of Black Fridays growing up and how you could always rely on YouTube to kind of find a new video of like people fighting over just a TV. And even more relevant to us right now during this whole COVID season is people hoarding toilet paper and fighting for it. Like, we're talking about, like, grappling kind of fighting. And let's be real. If we're willing to fight over toilet paper, I'm sure we're willing to fight for just about anything. And so think about it. What's the last thing you fought for? What was your remote control, your TV, your toilet paper? And what was that thing or thing you were willing to just do anything for? Well, you see, it was not so different back in James's times. 2,000 years ago, these same kinds of fights, fights over the remote, the TV, toilet paper, and probably whatever you're thinking in your head, those things happened back then too. And so if you'd open your Bibles with me to James 4, 1-12, Let's see a little bit about what their fights looked like. James 4, 1, 2, 3. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but do not have. So you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get 
on your pleasures. Now, when James says you desire, the Greek uses epithumitu. It means to place your heart upon. That when you desire, lust, covet something, you have literally taken your heart and placed it upon something. You have identified that whatever item, substance, or ideal is so important that you have to place your heart and attention all on it. Now, what is that desire for you? And what are you willing to get for that desire? Hey, this is relevant to all of us, but can you remember your last crush? That girl or guy that you were just he- like you were just in love, you know? Don't you remember just willing to do anything for him or her? Like, you know, she loves rock climbing, so you just start happening to start rock climbing. <coughs> Cannon. <laughs> or maybe you just love to jog. And, you know, they love to jog too, and you happen to run into them during your morning run. Oh, what a coincidence, right? Well, I've been there too. We've all been there. And you know who else has been there? Who else gets it? David does. David gets it too. You remember David, like David and Goliath David, who slays a giant with only like a sling and a few rocks? Now, this David goes from slaying a giant to songs to psalms, and then turns to seeing a woman, lusting after her, and then in his lust commits adultery misuses his power and authority, and then murders her husband, all to hide his sin and obtain her. Now, this diagram is going to help us kind of understand just desire. We, are, we all innately desire. And we place these desires into objects of desire, right? So it goes from desire to object of desire. Now, the arrow represents everything we're willing to do to reach those objects of desire, to gain those objects of desire. And so David, right, desired her. He had set his heart upon her. And as she became the object of his desire, he was willing to do anything to get her, right? He went from lusting to murdering and more to get Bathsheba. And so did the believers in James. They set their hearts upon the desire for power, their lusts, their wants to be recognized. And as their obsessions grew, the chasm of their wants grew too. They became willing to do anything to get what they wanted. They escalated, they fought, quarreled, and then they killed. But what else can you remember being obsessed over, right? Was it a promotion at work and the next job upgrade, and you just wanted it so much, at any cost, you just wanted to make it a reality. Maybe it was climbing up the social ladder, jumping from a five-figure salary to a six-figure salary. Maybe it was just climbing up to a place of safety or assurance. How far were you willing to make it a reality? How much did you think about it and obsess over it? Now, hear me out. These things that we desire, there are things that are innately evil. Wanting another person's misfortune, causing pain, lusting after inappropriate things, 
they're evil. But there are also things that are not bad to desire. You know, a girlfriend, a job, income, safety, they're not bad things. But what is hurtful and harmful is the way that we look at them, right? Wrap our minds around them and then our hearts. And eventually our lives become only about them. That's what's scary. See, the great deception for our obsession is this. We could be obsessed in the right things. We do the good. We're nice to people. We serve at church. We live the good Christian life. Yet still, our hearts are misplaced. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. That when I am nice to someone, I'm actually more concerned about gaining a good reputation. When I serve at church, I desire to be seen, noticed, acknowledged. Erwin is screaming, I want me that gold star, right? Even when I'm doing community service, I can't help but think to myself, this would look great on my resume. People are going to think so highly of me, right? But wait, did I just say me? Yeah, I I did. That's Erwin. That's... I think these things, I've done these things, and I've set my heart on these desires. And it's tempting to continue in that. But hey, you know, you're not fighting anyone. You're not hurting anyone. You're definitely not killing anyone. And so what's wrong? James would answer you like this. You answer me like this. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? This is not a statement that being friends with a non-Christian is a sin. Just clarify that. This is a statement that when you let your obsessive desires, your obsessive nature take over, you're falling in the ways of the world, of selfish people, and not of God. In James's words, you have made yourself an enemy of God because you have not even included him in the picture. And that is a reality we are brought in front of. That we set our hearts, that we're... What and where we set our hearts upon, we reveal that our hearts are simply not on God. And at the root of it, that is the problem. We have missed God in the process of our desires. And in other words, we just didn't place our hearts on Him. And so, when we realize how misplaced we are, right, how misaligned we have been, it's, it's confusing and, and disorienting, and it's easy to feel defeated, right? To go into a state of negative self-talk and you just feel lost. But rather than that, James in wisdom reminds us what is true and helpful. Verse 5, Or do you think that scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit 
he has caused to dwell in us. But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud and shows favor to the humble. God's spirit desires us. God's grace is more. And that in the midst of our own misplaced desire, though we have failed to acknowledge him and we missed him at every turn of our lives, and he's still jealous for us. Isn't that nuts? He's jealous for us. And he has extended himself so we would know this. It's not too late. God wants to bring us in and desires for us to realign ourselves to him. And to do so, James so helpfully uh, gives us steps and shows us kind of like what this would look like. And so these next four verses really just will help wrap us up, but also give us steps to, that James helps walk us through. One, grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. So firstly, we repent by grieving and mourning. We repent for missing God and giving something else our hearts. There's no need to hide. No need to sugarcoat with laughter or smile, but a genuine response of repentance to our broken desires. Psalm 51, 17. After the prophet Nathan approaches David about his adultery with Bathsheba, this is David's response. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you will not despise. Our God will never reject a broken or contrite heart. And it's because of this we have total permission to be fully broken before him. You know, one thing I must admit, and I I see this in a lot of my peers too, um, is that it's scary to mention the word sin. People don't react well to the word. Like, Certain theologies don't react well to the word. To many of them, it seems like shaming, it seems like accusatory, and to them, it seems just wrong. But that's part of the equation. It is. Our broken heart is evidence of sin. And to acknowledge God's work in our life, we must acknowledge the sin that blinds us from Him. And it's when we see God, we see Jesus willfully accept us, bring us into his family despite our sin, that we're brought into deeper relationality with God. And so today, let's acknowledge our broken and misplaced desires. Was it in your girlfriend or boyfriend? Was it in your success? Maybe it was in your children, your expectations for them. And as we identify that object, May we simply say, sorry, God. I'm sorry for placing my hearts on just people. I'm sorry for placing my heart on the things that I do. I'm sorry for placing my heart on everything but you. And he accepts that. He accepts the broken and contrite heart. Secondly, we submit ourselves to God. We submit ourselves, we submit our hearts to Him. We recognize that He is God. 
He is author, perfecter of our faith, and we see how he's accepted our broken heart. But now he asks us to put all that we may, all that we have, all of this heart, whatever it is, and put it at his feet. Submitting our heart to him is an invitation to say, I'm sorry, Lord, for the things I put my heart on. But now, God, I give you my heart. And every time we do that, every time we step closer to him, he draws in as well. We get more of God. That's, that's f- and so submit. Take your heart. Put it in front of him. It's all yours. Say that to him. It's all yours. And his response is you are all his. And thirdly, resist the devil. Temptation will rise. Again and again, temptation will rise. We will be challenged to be persistent in fighting the good fight, right? To, to place boundaries where we need to place boundaries. And, you know, placing boundaries is a great thing to, to fight, to, to fight temptation. But honestly, what I think is better, and I want us to consider is accountability. Find friends, community, find a group to live and do this with. You know, I think of our sexual addiction workshops that we've been doing at church, and I've heard so much good from our community about it. How openly people can share, how they can bear each other in such a unique manner. Let's resist together. Find each other, bear one another's burdens. And lastly, we humble ourselves. Now, humility takes all these things, right? So we have to come before him, acknowledge our sin, we grieve over our sin, and in that we give him our hearts, we submit to him, and we commit to resisting the temptations that are constantly going to try to vie for our hearts. And it's when we learn to do all these things, right? All these things that we learn humility before God, before the Lord. And this is it. He will lift us up. He will show us only He can truly satisfy every need, want, or desire. He will show us how He can only change our hearts and that it is in Him where we can fully and securely place our hearts. He lifts us up He lifts us up and brings us into deeper, more intimate communion with himself. That's it. That's the best thing ever. Him. And so, fun fact. I'm so nervous sharing this, but anyways. I recently started dating someone. And we went official just about a week ago. Yeah, 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 I'm sure. You know, they're celebrating in the back. You're probably all celebrating. Oh my gosh, everyone's not single. Like, um, and you're, yeah, you're just all going crazy. And I know it. And I, I hope I get to see it in the chat. Um, and, and thank you, you know, I, I think. It, yeah. 
But I, I genuinely am just as excited as you all are. Uh, it's, it's a big deal. It's, it's great for me too, you know. Um, and as excited as I am, I have to recognize a temptation. Um, I'm super tempted to put everything on her. To, to put my heart on her, to ex- put my expectations onto her, to put everything onto her. But I'm glad I got this little tidbit of wisdom. Um, if she becomes everything, she must also bear everything. My hurt, my pain, my sin, my expectations, my desire, all of that she must bear. The weight of it would crush her. It's just too much for a person to hold and to carry. No person can do that. No single person can do that. But that's exactly why God is the best. That's exactly why being with him is the best. He can bear the weight and more. He can lift us up. (laughs) You know, maybe you've been kind of crushing someone under the weight. You've been giving them all your expectation, your desires, and you've been literally just putting it all on them. For some of us, it's, it's, it's our friends. We want our friends to constantly be around us, hang out with us. And in this time of COVID, it's super real, right? I need friends. And, and sometimes we're a little suffocating. And that's, that's natural. For some of us, it's our spouse, right? <sighs> man, this is so hard right now. And I just, and you never listen to them because they're always listening to you and they have to bear the weight of all your hurt and your pain and all your work problems. And that's all they hear. And for some of us, it's the children, right? I want my kid to be successful, to have everything I didn't have, to be the kid on campus, And because of that, you're pushing them to do everything, anything to get to what you desire for them. Are you crushing them under all of that? As we look at God, as we think about him lifting us up, will we look to that person we see that we've kind of just made them bear and hold all that weight? Would we look to them? Would we look to God and would we humble ourselves? Will we submit to him and admit that this is what we've done? We've made this person bear our weight, but rather instead, God, you can. You can bear the weight. You can hold it all. And I think it's in this place that we can say as a group, right? Not just as individual, but as the believers that God, as we humble ourselves, can you hold our weight? Can you lift us up? And he can. And so let me pray for us as a church um, just to end my time and thank you for listening. And yeah, let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, um, Lord, we come before you humble, Um, We admit, Lord, that there are times where our hearts are just not placed on you. 
Um, and Lord, we come to you and we ask, Lord, remind us how good you are, how you're the best thing. And we submit our hearts to that, the best thing. Um, and so, Lord, as each person walks away today, they go to their small groups, their Zoom groups, Lord, we pray that you would just bless them and you would remind them, Lord, what it means to resist together. Um, yeah, Lord, we need you. We know you're the best. Would you remind us of that right now? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.